When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Silver and Black Flashback with your host, author of the Raiders Encyclopedia, Rich Schmelter. Thanks so much, as always, Murph. He's the best damn host of any Raiders podcast out there. And also, thanks so much to the best damn fan base in the world, my beloved Raider Nation. Well, here we are once again for another episode of Flashback dedicated to winning and wild moments of our beloved team. And to make this episode even more special, it marks the 25th time I have had the honor of bringing these memories to Raider Nation. And another shout out to Murph for making that all possible. Okay, so normally the number 25 signifies a silver anniversary, but not here, folks. For what is silver without black? Am I right? Silver and black are the only colors that matter to us, the proud members of Raider Nation. Can I get a unified hell yeah? All right, it is time to get going on this 25th episode titled A Head Full of Stitches, Wild Lyle Takes on the Orange Bowl, and a Raider at Spotlight. Bob Moore was a second-year veteran tight end in 1972 when the Raiders made a trip to Pittsburgh for a divisional playoff game on December 23rd that unfortunately became one of the most, if not the most, controversial endings in pro football history. We all know it as the Immaculate Reception Game. Damn, it even hurts me to bring that crap up. But it was not the game itself that we are going to talk about, but what occurred the night before this dubious moment inside Pittsburgh's Three River Stadium, when rookie Franco Harris scored on a last-second touchdown under much controversy that regardless sent our Raiders home for the season. Bob Moore was popular with his Raider teammates, but apparently that friendly feeling was not felt by Pittsburgh police. Just for the record, Moore did not go out looking for any problems on the Friday night before the game, but somehow that is what he found. The evening before this game found Moore and a teammate going out to see a movie before heading back to the Raiders' hotel early. So things appeared to be working out well for Moore. After seeing a gangster film called Across 110th Street, Moore and his teammate walked back to the hotel. As they got to the Hilton Hotel, they found a rowdy crowd of Pittsburgh fans that were geared up to give the Raiders as much hassle as possible. During the evening, a beer bottle was smashed through a hotel window and another one hit a police officer. Not a good idea, folks. Needless to say, Many in the crowd were arrested, and Bob Moore never planned on being one of them, but he was. 
Now, even though the crowd was rowdy and verbally bashing the Raiders, it allowed Moore and his teammate to make their way toward the entrance. It was there that things got ugly. As Moore tried to get into the Hilton, a group of policemen brought there to keep the mob somewhat under control attempted to stop the two Raiders from getting inside. Moore tried desperately to explain to the officers that they were players with the Raiders and wanted to get to their rooms. Now, one of the policemen did not seem to care who Moore was, cussed at him, kind of hit him a little bit, and told him that he was not going to get in front of the line. Well, that didn't sit too well with Bob Moore, and he fired back with some cussing of his own and told the police officer that he was going up to his room. Now, maybe cussing back was not the right thing to do to a riot squad officer, but Moore was mad as hell about the situation and just returned some profanity back in the heat of the moment. Well, that was all it took, and suddenly, bam! The officer connected with his solid wood nightstick on Moore's head, and the Raider tight end fell to the ground. He then had a guy jump on his chest trying to beat him up some more, while another guy held his legs down. Moore attempted to cover up in defense of the onslaught, but had his hands pulled away, and once again, bam, went the nightstick. Well, for good reason, additional profanity came pouring from Moore's mouth. He then got dragged to a police wagon and tossed in the back. The first officer that came in the back of the wagon quickly got attacked by Moore, who hit him with everything he had in true Raider badass fashion, even though his head was split wide open and blood was falling everywhere. The officer then rushed out of the wagon and slammed the door. A few minutes passed before Moore was informed by the driver that he was going to be booked and tossed in jail. The driver then realized that Moore was covered in blood and decided to get him to a hospital instead. At the hospital, Moore got his head stitched up and suffered a mild concussion. He also learned that the state of Pennsylvania had a doctrine of sovereign immunity that meant Moore could not sue the city of Pittsburgh for what happened, only individual people. Now, after his head was stitched back together, Moore was taken back to the police station to be booked. But wait a minute. There was head coach John Madden waiting for him, along with the mayor of Pittsburgh and the chief of police. It was then that Moore was offered a deal. Don't sue the police officer that hit you, and you will not be arrested. Now, after dropping a severe F-bomb at that deal, Moore did agree on another way out of going to jail. He would not talk to the media while in Pittsburgh, and it was then that he was allowed to go free. As kickoff loomed the next morning, Moore couldn't get his helmet on due to his head being wrapped up with bandages. Defensive lineman Kelvin Corver had a bigger head than Moore, so they took his helmet removed the insides, and made some styrofoam, donut-shaped padding and attached it to the inside. Seeing that at the time, Moore was a backup tight end to starter Raymond Chester, he found himself reduced to watching the game from the sideline. Moore played with the Raiders until he was selected by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the expansion draft in 1976, and it was then off to Florida and one hell of a crappy team. The Bucks never won a game during that 1976 season, but Bob Moore was still treated like a king when Tampa Bay came out to Oakland to play the Raiders. A limousine pulled out close to the runway where the Bucks plane landed, and as the stairs from the plane came down, the limo was there along with a red carpet. His old teammates started a major hug fest with Moore before placing him inside the limo and driving him off to a night of wild times that only the Raiders could conjure up. 
Before Bob Moore became a lawyer, he played two seasons in Tampa Bay and ended his pro football career in 1978 with the Denver Broncos. Lionel Elzado was tough, intense, strong, and despite playing in Denver and Cleveland, he was always meant to be a Raider. And luckily, he was able to finish out his incredible career in a silver and black uniform. Now, on a future episode of Flashback, Lyle's life will be discussed in full detail. But this time out, just a taste of Lyle's wild man antics will be delivered. And it is a great story, folks, about the NFL's ultimate alpha dog of the trench warriors throughout the 1970s and well into the 80s. When provoked, Lyle's rage was such that anyone in his path faced total destruction from the six foot three, 265 pound tower of muscle and fury. And I mean anyone, opponents, teammates, and even numerous people from outside of the pro football world all felt his wrath from time to time. On this episode, we are going to discuss one of those times that Lyle Elzado was provoked by someone in the stands during a 1984 regular season game against the Miami Dolphins inside Miami's Orange Bowl. In 1984, the Los Angeles Raiders were the defending Super Bowl champions, but were struggling a bit to secure a playoff spot and attempt to defend their world title. With a record of 9-4 coming into this game, the Raiders were in third place in the AFC Western Division behind the 12-2 Seattle Seahawks and the 11-3 Denver Broncos. Now as for the Dolphins, they were the elite of the American Football Conference with a near-perfect 12-1 record and a second-year quarterback named Dan Marino that was setting the NFL on fire with passing yardage never before seen in the professional ranks and he was well on his way to shattering many single-game passing records and looked virtually unstoppable from doing whatever he wanted against any defense. Now, a few days before this game, Lyle Azedo growled that he was going to rip Marino's lips off, and that sparked many Miami fans to fire back with numerous banners hanging in the Orange Bowl that had less-than-kind things written on them about Alzado. The game itself went down as one of the greatest moments in Raiders regular season history with them winning 45-34 to despite Marino throwing for 470 yards and four touchdowns. However, even as exciting as this game was, it was an incident that occurred while the Raiders were on their way to the locker room for the halftime intermission and that created another walk on the wild side moment in a history of many from our Raider badasses. With 75,151 Miami fans rocking the Orange Bowl off its foundation with unified chants of Beat L.A., Beat L.A. ringing out, Elzado and his teammates were en route to the locker room. With 20 yards or so to go to get to the visiting locker room, the Raiders found themselves ready to make their way through a very drunken mass of Miami fans. With the end zone stands angled inward, the Raiders had to get through a very narrow space with food, beverages, and even seat cushions being thrown at them, not to mention shouts of profanity. Sure, the vibe was intense, but it seemed common for the Raiders to have this type of experience on the road. They were the defending champs, and they had that badass aura hovering around them. Now that image is great and intimidating, but also when people have a few drinks, they become braver than normal and look to challenge the toughness that the Raiders displayed. And guess what? Yep, a dumbass 20-something-year-old drunken idiot threw a full cup of beer into Lyle's face while beating on his chest like Tarzan. 
So Lyle just calmly walked away and wiped the beer off his face, right? Oh, hell no. For Wild Lyle hoisted himself over a four-foot wall, got a hold of the fool's shirt with one of his powerful hands, and with his helmet, he started going after the guy's head. Four of Lyle's teammates attempted to pull him away from the area, but he just shook them off. Lyle was definitely tuned into destruction mode. With luck on this idiot's side, he managed to stagger a few steps away from Lyle's continued attack while blood ran down his head. He was then subdued, and when he sobered up, he possessed one of the weirder souvenirs from a football game. Well, folks, after two stories of fury and head wounds, let's say we wrap up this episode with the sexier side of our Raiders. And that can only mean one thing. Yep, it's time to shine a spotlight on one of football's fabulous females from the past. Blonde bombshell Gretchen Stockdale, one of the most popular Los Angeles Raiderettes of her time. Born in Virginia, Gretchen's family relocated to South Dakota when she was an infant. After starting junior high, she once again moved, this time to Missouri. After high school graduation, Gretchen enrolled at the University of Missouri, and while there, she became a member of the Cardinals' Big Red Line cheerleading squad when the team was located in St. Louis. After graduating from college, Gretchen took her degree in cheerleading experience to the bright lights, glitz, and glamour of Los Angeles, California. She dove right into her new surroundings in the Golden State by earning a master's degree in communications from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and oh yeah, she became a Raiderette. After having such a positive experience cheering for the Cardinals, she decided to try out for the Raiderettes, was selected for the squad after her first audition, remained a member of the squad for six years, and was honored as Raiderette of the Year halfway through her tenure. It was then on to law school, which she conquered like everything else she tried. After earning her law degree, Gretchen first became an associate attorney before becoming vice president and general counsel for Pilgrim Films and Television. Gretchen also found the time to serve on the editorial board of Los Angeles Lawyer Magazine and was named a Southern California Rising Star four straight years from 2004 to 2007 by Los Angeles Magazine. And here we are, Raider Nation, at the end of our time together, at least for this episode, and I can't wait to get started on the next 25 episodes of Silver and Black Flashback. And why is that? Well, it's simple and can be summed up in three simple words, and they are, wait for it, here it comes, love you Raider Nation! <laughs>